We're carrying on today with the series called Walk the Talk. And um, as we go into the letter of James, we find that he quickly um, begins to talk about endurance through trials. And the situation to which the uh, letter was addressed was one in which these these Christians were away far from home and terrible things were happening to them. And so a lot of the letter is really about how to walk the talk in that sense. I, I suppose all of us, as we look back through our lives, we would be able to identify times where we really needed to endure something. Something maybe relatively trivial, maybe something quite massive. And uh, in, in either case, we would sort of remember that the hardest part of it was the waiting, was just, you know, wondering day by day by day. So I thought back over my long life, and I remember back many years ago, a time that was really perplexing to me in, in terms of the trial that it was. So we had moved from Edmonton to Vancouver. We were living in Spruce Grove, just outside of Edmonton, and we moved to Vancouver. And as we prepared to move, um, we put our house up for sale in Edmonton, and then we came to Vancouver and had only a few days in which to find a house to buy and live in in, in Vancouver. And so we began and uh, felt sort of the pressure of finding something at the right price and compared what we would be able to realize in Spruce Grove. And uh, as, as we embarked on that, um, we had a real estate agent who was a lovely Christian friend, and um, he, he helped us to really sort everything through. And at the end of the second day, having searched, you know, all over the almost the lower mainland, we we kind of zeroed in on on Richmond, and we found a house in Richmond that was perfect. The problem was that that house was much more money than we were prepared to to pay or could pay, and and so we we said to Ross, who was our our real estate agent, uh, I, I, we probably shouldn't even consider making an offer. And he said, well. Let, let me let me see what happens here. And he he discovered that the owner of the house was actually a Christian friend of his, in fact, a, a colleague. Um, and he he went to her and said, "I have this family moving to Vancouver, and they're coming to pastor a church, and they really love your house, and I feel as though it's the house that the Lord has for them." And she was very pleased. And said, well, uh, that would be lovely. be lovely to know who it is that's going to buy the house. And then he, he told her, this is what we're prepared to pay. And she said, oh. And um, she said, no, I couldn't possibly accept that. So he left, and then she came back out after him and said, wait, wait, wait. Tell me again about this family. And he did. And she said, Somehow or other, I feel as though the Lord wants them to live in this house. So I'm prepared to accept that offer. So we were ecstatic. We, we couldn't believe our, not only our good fortune, but the way the Lord was providing for us. And so we expected that we would go back home to Spruce Grove, and undoubtedly our house there 
since the Lord was in this, would quickly sell, and, and everything would be very smooth. Well, the story did not go the way we thought it should. And not only did we not sell the house quickly, we actually couldn't sell the house. And for about a year after we moved to Vancouver, the house in Spruce Grove was on the market. And to boot, the, um, if you remember back in those uh, early 80s, real estate um, took a, an interesting turn because the interest rates uh, skyrocketed. And our mortgage had come renewable in Spruce Grove, and it was renewed at 22%. You can't even imagine that these days. So this house that still was ours, um, we needed to pay the mortgage on a 22% kind of a basis. So we, we were totally perplexed about how the Lord was seemingly in one side of the story but not the other. We fully expected that since had, things had gone so well in Vancouver that they must certainly have been planned in heaven to go well uh, in Spruce Grove. I remember for the course of that year, my commute every day to the church. So our church was on what they call Holy Hill in the Mount Pleasant area of Vancouver. And we were living then in this new house in Richmond. And every morning I drove from Richmond to the, the church in, in Vancouver. And I drove past the Queen Elizabeth Gardens. And um, it, there's sort of a, uh, it's called Little Mountain. There's, a, there's quite an incline. And you come up and you can look and see the beautiful gardens. And then you go down as you get near the city center and... You can see all of the cityscape. I can still, in my mind, see myself looking out of my car window at that point in my journey every single day. Because when we began, um, we fully expected that the Lord was in this and that he would provide. And yet half of what we needed was provided and the other half certainly wasn't. And so between Richmond and um, Little Mountain, I had a struggle with God. And every single day, I, I asked him, I pled with him, I begged him, I tried to bargain with him about making this all go away, that we would be able to um, deal with the house in Spruce Grove and carry on with our lives in Vancouver. After I got over that incline, as I began down towards the church every single day, I came to some kind of peace and said, okay, um, you must know what's best, and I, I need to trust you. But it went on day after day after day. Now, many, many years later, I'm able to look back, still with some perplexity, but with, with some maturity, that um, realizes that in that process there was something for me to learn. And as I come to the book of James, that really is kind of a, a case study of what James is teaching those who are scattered, uh, the followers of Christ to whom he's writing. So I want to read you the two parts of James in which he talks about enduring in which he talks about being patient. 
Now, the letter of James is an interesting letter in terms of its his structure. He, he sort of um, uses bookends and then some stuff in between. So he starts and finishes kind of with the same topic. And that's why I'll read to you from chapter 1 and then skip over to chapter 5 where he picks up on the same theme. Here's what he says. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So true, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. At the end of the letter, James returns. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Now all of that is in the context of his discussion on endurance, on patience, during hard times, during difficulties. And yet he talks about some other things um, which he apparently intends to be included in the consideration of this topic. So I want to come to that a little bit today. So the, the verse that we are, are really focusing on is the verse in the first chapter where he says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The testing of your faith. Faith is a big word in the Bible. And uh, I've talked to you before over the last several weeks about how I understand faith to be a struggle. Maybe one way that we would define faith is to say that faith is tenacious waiting. So the term tenacious means that um, it, it's something um, that we're quite concerned and, and steadfast about, that we're, we're holding on to something. And faith, I think, seems to be that sort of a, kind of a, a process or a behavior in the Christian life, that to have faith is to be tenacious that that is that we're holding on to something but there's a waiting in fact the waiting part of it that's the part that that causes us most concern right 
we would be very happy to be tenacious if we could have what we're believing in or for or expecting. But the waiting part of it is very hard. And for all of us, um, to one degree or another, I'm sure that the waiting of any situation can be the hardest part. Um, we don't love waiting for things, especially in the West. We don't need to wait for very much. And so having to wait is a bit of a challenge. And we find here that James says, you know, don't you, that faith is a test. That faith by its very nature is tested um, and it's tested very often by the dimension of waiting. So how, how do I know that my faith is legitimate faith or valid faith or real faith? And, and James says, well, let me put to you that the waiting is the area or the dimension in which faith is actively tested. And so if we are being tested in whatever circumstances. Um, we might see that God has an interest in that testing, and maybe a very important part of that is going to be a waiting component. Here's the formula that I think James is promoting for us. He's saying that faith will work endurance. If, if, if you have legitimate faith, if you have the kind of faith that God is looking for, then it will produce endurance. And endurance will result in reward, specifically the crown of life. We see that James refers to that the endurance of the follower of Christ is rewarded by a crown. So, so here's the the migration of the test. Um, faith is put up, and it's, it's there to be examined, to be tested. And when we exert our faith, the dimension of that faith that probably will uh, need the hardest work is, is the dimension of endurance. Faith requires patience. Faith expects endurance. And then when we go through the hard work of endurance, we get to the end, which is a reward, at least the pleasure of God, often the satisfaction of the person who has actually exerted faith and, and been able to wait through whatever the difficulty is. But saying all of that is easy to say unless we're in the middle of a trial. It's very easy to be academic and say, yeah, the Bible says that here's, here's the process. Uh, you have faith, you endure, and you're rewarded for that. Well, the endurance part is not only the hard work, but it's the part of all of this that actually threatens faith. Uh, people might go to one pole or the opposite when a very difficult time comes their way they might depend heavily on their faith or they might abandon their faith. And I've certainly been with folks who have gone to either or the other pole. Those who have depended on their faith and even been strengthened in their faith and those who have said, this is, this is not real, this, this doesn't work, it's not for me. 
And oftentimes it's in the context of misunderstanding God or turning away from God or at least stopping the struggle of believing in God. So with, with all of that in play, I think then we come to what James promises, which is wisdom. And as I think back to our experience between Spruce Grove and Vancouver, what has come to me over the many decades since is a measure of wisdom. So as James unpacks his teaching about endurance during the trials, he, he then brings some little sort of pithy pieces of wisdom. As I say, they are well enveloped in the topic, so he intends them to be considered as part of what he's saying about enduring hard times. So he says, if you need wisdom, and, and that is very, very often um, just the magic sauce I've said before. It's, it's the thing that you would say, how, how am I going to make it through this process? Well, the answer is wisdom. There's wisdom that God promises he will give us. And there's kind of an irony in all of this because many times when we're enduring hard times, we're not sure what it is that God is actually promising and delivering to us. And yet here in the middle of all of this, James says, if you are enduring trials and you lack wisdom, so again, well within the topic, not an extraneous or you know, sort of a by-the-way comment, he says, if you need wisdom, ask God, and he will give it to you. And then he says, serious, ask God. But listen, you have to ask God with a single-minded purpose of needing wisdom. And if you ask God with that kind of single-mindedness, he will give it to you. And there's a little play on vocabulary where, where James says that God is not double-minded. God is single-minded. He, he doesn't give out wisdom reluctantly. He, he doesn't give it out um, sparingly. He, he is willing to give you wisdom if you need it. So there's, I think, where some um, sort of relief is brought to us as we find ourselves in the middle of enduring a hard time, and we say, I can't get through this. Well, James says, let me offer you some wisdom, some um, observations that, that might, in fact, help you interpret um, the trial or help you interpret the hard time. Let me just see if I can pull those out for us. First of all, Circumstances are a poor barometer. So he, in as I read to you in the first chapter, he says, um, let the person who is in poor circumstances rejoice. Let the rich person who is in, you know, in happy circumstances be humiliated. And you think, what? Why does that make any sense? Well, I think James is, is just really pointing this out that circumstances are a very poor sign of the actual conditions or the actual reality. And many times I, I do the very same thing. Um, 
I will interpret circumstances to mean more than than they actually are meant to mean. So, um, you know, you, you've tried to open your Bible randomly and see what verse you come to and say, ah, there you go, that's how I know what God is saying to me. I, I read someone who every morning um, goes to the stairs down to the basement, um, throws his laundry down, and if his laundry gets halfway down, he thinks he's going to have a half a good day. If his laundry gets all the way down, he's going to have a whole good day. Well, you know, that, that's kind of nonsense. But we need to be really wary of interpreting our circumstances. So, you know, here's maybe some of the wisdom that has accrued during the years. My circumstances, our circumstances, as we were making a move, um, indicated to us that God was for us and working on our behalf. And that was proven by this Christian lady agreeing to a lowball offer on her house. Well, if those circumstances led us to one conclusion about how God was involved in this, then the circumstances on the other side would have led us to a conclusion that was contrary to that conclusion. If God was working this out for us in Richmond, why was he not working it out for us in Spruce Grove? And through the years, I've come to perceive that God was at work in all of it. And what he was doing in all of it was not about those circumstances or those provisions right then. What he was doing was about us, was about me. And he was wanting to work endurance in me. So how, how did he move around the, the, the game pieces? I'm not quite sure. It's not my business. Maybe when I get to heaven, I'll say, what was going on with that housing stuff? And he might say, ah, don't worry about it. It's all over now. Don't use circumstances as a way to interpret God's will. It's, it's just very dangerous. Sometimes it's like an icing on the cake. Sometimes it is actually a, a true sign, but not always. So James says, if you're poor, don't think those circumstances indicate anything about status or God's pleasure or God's blessing. Or if you're rich, similarly, don't interpret that circumstance the wrong way. The second thing, by way of wisdom, is simply to say that God is in the stands. So whenever there are difficulties that come our way, we need to know that every single time God says to us, this is a test. I'm watching you. I'm watching all that happens and I'm assessing you in terms of how you respond to this situation for good or for ill. These are ridiculously crazy days, aren't they? And when we do watch sports, because we miss going to see sports and going to a stadium or going to a court or whatever it is, now um, we have piped in crowds. So whatever sport you care to watch, 
it'll sound as though there's a whole crowd there in the stands. And they've gotten very good at it because the sounds are, are really mixed up and they're loud when they should be. They're, you know, horrified when they should be. All of those kinds of things. And yet there's no one in the stands. Here's the point. It only matters that God is in the stands as far as playing out my life is concerned. It doesn't matter what the crowd is cheering. It really only matters that I play to the one audience or the one spectator, and that is God. To know that and to understand that in every trial, God is wanting me to view it as a test. Now, it's not a test hoping that I will fail, ever. The the term, actually, that's used in James about the, the testing is, um, it, it, it's a word that has the intent of approving, you know, putting the mark of approval. So God is watching me, not hoping or planning that I will trip up. But he's watching so that he can approve my life. But God is the one who's in the stands. A third piece of wisdom is that James says as we go to the fifth chapter, learn the lesson of the farmer. If, if you're in a hard time, and many of us are in maybe one of the most difficult periods of our lives. Now, compared to the world around us and the terrible plight that many find themselves in, we feel a little awkward about saying that. But this is very difficult. And it doesn't seem to get done quickly enough. Who would have thought a year ago that a year farther on we'd still be where we are now? At least we see some hope. We certainly do. But James says, pay attention to the farmer. He waits patiently. And because he waits The spring rains come, the autumn rains come, and the crop grows. What part of the growing cycle could the farmer, you know, circumvent or should he um, avoid? Well, no part. Because anything that is a crop worth having is a crop that has gone through the seasons and has gone through the waiting. And so the farmer knows that when he plants the seeds, it's going to take time. It's going to take the elements. It's going to take the the stormy days as well as the sunny days. It's going to take the rain as well as the sunshine. And that's the truth about our lives. And, and again, that's a piece of the wisdom that I think James is wanting to sow into this whole process. As I say, in each of these passages, his topic is patience during hard times. And in that context, he brings up these little pieces of wisdom. The last piece of wisdom that he brings that I want to identify here is that we need to build into endurance as a legacy. He says, Think back. Think back to the prophets. Think back to Job. And remember how the the Lord rewarded Job 
and we think back and say, oh, my goodness. Yeah, he did reward Job. But it was long after he had gone through horrendous trials, horrendous trials. And yet, as his whole life is summed up, uh, and we look back on, on Job, we hear that God shows up and he says to Job's friends, nonsense, all that you said was nonsense. Job is my servant, he is righteous, and God blesses him and he endorses him. And the legacy that Job leaves of his life is the legacy of patience during adversity. Early on, his wife said, why are you, why are you still trying to make it through this? Curse God and die. And Job said, should we receive from the hand of God the blessings and not also receive the challenges? He says, you're talking like a foolish woman. So the legacy of Job's life is not a legacy about the theology of suffering or how God and Satan make their deals in heaven. The story of Job is the story of patience. We call it the patience of Job. So think back. Maybe you don't have to think back quite as far as Job. Think back to your parents. Think back to the, the, the lives that our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents lived. And think about some of the adversity that they went through and survived. And think of the wisdom that, that piled up in their lives, that, that was built up in their lives as a legacy, as they proved um, that, that God was, was faithful, confusing at times, but faithful. When we go back into the Old Testament, we find out that what James says is true. You've seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. So when we need wisdom, James says, ask God. He gives it to you without hesitation. And know this, that God is full of compassion and merciful. There are two times in the early parts of the Old Testament where God's people are scared. They're, they're terrified of an adversity. They're terrified of, um, of battles, of occupations, and so on. Um, and, and God says to them, don't be afraid. But in, in each case, and I, I find this both in Joshua and Deuteronomy, God says, don't be dismayed or frightened. And you might say, oh my goodness, hard times, that's exactly what I feel like. I feel dismayed. I feel frightened. I feel terrified. These verses say, the Lord is with you. The Lord will not fail you or forsake you. And James says he's full of compassion and mercy. If you're in a hard time just now, know this, that it's a test, not to make you trip up. Not to make you turn from God, but so that God at the end of the trial can say, there you go. That's faith. You see, faith is not easy come, easy go. Faith is 
struggling through the hard times, believing something because you can't not believe it, and looking for it, and understanding that in the midst, here is what you know about God, that God is full of compassion and mercy. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, even when it is a hard time. If possible, even consider it joy, as Ranza told us last week. God bless.